Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Movies and a Meal, a podcast where we talk about movies and other things while we eat. I'm your co-host Ben, and as always I'm joined by Brad. What's up? So first off, happy holidays and happy new year. Woohoo, yeah! 2023 going out with a bang! 2024 coming in like a lion. Okay, since we're on radio, I guess, no one sees us, but Brad is dressed as the 2024 New Year's baby. Oh yeah, diaper and sash and all. Ben is very disturbed at the moment, and I am feeling, uh, no. Exposed? No, I was going to say... Oh, you look good, Brad. You look good. Okay, I'm not going to say what I thought I was going to say, so we'll we'll cut this out. Okay, but you know, I think that's a good example of the energy of this episode. (laughs) It's going to be kind of an odd one, because what you're going to hear are two recording sessions stitched together. So Brad and I are going to review some movies. And then Keith and I are going to review some movies. Some of the same movies, in fact. But that's just the way the schedule broke, and that's yep. how it is. Ben is going to be Dr. Frankenstein, and this episode will be his uh, beloved monster. That's true, so. that's true. Okay, so in no particular order, we're going to be talking about the following movies. Maestro, Ferrari, Aquaman the Lost Kingdom, the Iron Claw, and Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire. So, why don't we just go ahead and kick it off. We'll start with the first movie that basically only Brad saw between the three of us, which is Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire, and then we're going to move on to Aquaman, Ferrari, and Iron Claw, and we'll probably have the same order for Keith. So, when you hear these things, it's going to be a little bit odd, but we're just going to make the best of it. Why don't we go ahead and start with Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire. And before I even do that, I'll put my Brad hat on and read the summary. Cursey, INDB. When a peaceful settlement on the edge of the distant moon finds itself threatened by armies of a tyrannical ruling force, mysterious stranger living among its villagers becomes the best hope for survival. And so this movie is a Zack Snyder movie. It was originally pitched as a Star Wars movie that was rejected, but Zack Snyder was able to go to Netflix and basically have it reworked in its own sort of sci-fi fantasy opera type thing. It stars uh, Sofia Boutella. Our guy, Jaimon Hansu, mm-hmm. Ed Skirn. Patriot say of the podcast. That's right. Ed Skirn, who kind of is. Well, he was in Deadpool, and he's been in some other random stuff. And Charlie Hunnam and some other people. Anthony Hopkins. I'm looking they, at this guy. apparently. Anthony Hopkins is the voice of, the ro- of a robot. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I didn't see this movie. Only Brad saw this movie. Brad saw it reluctantly, but he still saw it because he's a trooper. So, Brad, have at it. Yeah, this was one that I was bouncing back and forth. I was like, do I want to see this? Do I not want to see this? Do I want to see this? And, like, I think, like, as of Wednesday, I was like, you know what? No, I'm out. I'm not going to see this. And then Friday morning, I was like, I got some time to kill. What the heck? Let me watch this movie. And it's... I'll put it this way. If you want to see a movie that basically pits a little Star Wars... A lot of Seven Samurai An education, a Brad education movie. Yep, a lot of uh, a lot of slow motion scenes. Basically, a lot of talking that has little story building to it. Maybe a little bit of action uh, sprinkled in there. Uh, this movie's for you. I'll just put it this way: it is very much a Zack Snyder joint. The visuals is definitely well done. I will give you that. The acting, I think, in general, was okay at best. The The lead actress, uh, Sophia Botella, she is uh, Cora. She was okay, but there was a lot of brooding and sullen looking, which I guess is part of her character, but she kind of was just a sore thumb for most of it. I mean, it's not that she was bad, it's just there were some other characters that outshine her, mainly my secret MVP, Charlie Hunnan, as Kai. 
He's basically sort of like the Han Solo analog in this movie. Korra, along with a farmer, which I don't think I wrote down his name because he's not really does much in this. So they basically go to collect people to help fight. That starts the hour and 30 minutes of Seven Samurai. There, there's one big fight in the end. And um, yeah, it's an okay movie. Ed Skarin as Atticus Noble. The, what you consider... Not quite the main villain, but he's he's like the Darth Vader of this. I mean, in the trailer, he's basically dressed like a Nazi. Yeah, basically that's what they are. They're they're Nazis. I mean, he's basically they build him up as a war war crazy person who's like who's who's bloodlust lives off bloodlust and all that. I mean, there's not much built to him. Like most characters in this movie, there's not much built to him. I mean, it's basically a lot of tell, not show. Well, let's not belabor it. Uh, why don't you give it your review, and we can do Rotten Tomatoes and everything if you didn't particularly like it. And I'll ask you, though, you know, this is a part one. The, they just released this movie this month in December 2023, and they just had the trailer come out, I guess, to have it in springtime. So are you going to watch part two? Well... Looking at the trailer, it looks like it's going to have a lot more action than this than uh, than the than the first one. And honestly, the second one looks like it's going to be almost ripped straight from Seven Samurai. I'm going to give it a shot, mainly because as of right now, there is not much I'm interested in the way of 2024. As far as ratings, I'm going to give it, and this is a very generous, and I realize how generous I've been looking at my list from this year and realizing. That movie was not that. I'm going to give it a two and a half out of five, and that's very generous. This movie is probably, and actually, as I'm speaking, I'm going to give it a two out of five. I've talked myself out of two and a half just that fast, so. Okay, okay, so Brad's final grade for this movie is a two out of five. Yes. Okay, okay. Yes. So let's talk about Rotten Tomatoes. Well, when I first saw this, it was very low on the critics, and it was somewhat high on the audience. I'm going to go... I'm going to say the critics probably turned around a tad. I'm going to say 35% on the critics. Unfortunately, I, I knew it was going to be low. As far as audience, I'm going to say 82%. When we are talking off air, you said that it, you, the number had probably changed. And then we also talked about how when we do our year-end episodes, you know, Brad kind of dutifully looks at the Rotten Tomato scores of each movie and then measures great distance between what the critics think, what the audience think. And this one might be a contender. 24% for the critics. Okay, so not much of a change. Audience, 62%. Ooh, okay. And I have a critics consensus for both. Here's the critical consensus. Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire, proves Zack Snyder hasn't lost his visual flair, but eye candy isn't enough to offset a storyline made up of various sci-fi and fantasy tropes. And the audience says, even if Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire, borrows heavily from other sci-fi stories, it is still entertaining and often visually dazzling, which is basically Zack Snyder's playbook. Except for the movies that draw heavily from like great source material like Watchmen or 300. Mm -hmm. It's just not a lot to them. So. Yeah. yeah, basically. And not a lot to this review, and since we got a lot, and Brad is not particularly fond of this movie, why don't we just go ahead and move on to the next one. So that movie is going to be Aquaman 2. This is the sequel to the 2018 DCEU movie starring Jason Momoa, Amber Heard, Nicole Kidman, and a bunch of other people. Yaya Abdul-Mateen is back as the, the villain, Black Manta. Before, but before I step on uh, Brad's toes, because I got a taste of the summary courtesy IMDb, I'm, I'll let Brad actually do the summary. So Brad, what is Aquaman The Lost Kingdom about? All right, summary is always courtesy of IMDb. Black Manta seeks revenge on Aquaman for his father's death. 
Wielding the Black Trident's power, he becomes a formidable foe. To defend Atlantis, Aquaman forges an alliance with his imprisoned brother. They must protect the kingdom. I'm going to go first on this. I didn't particularly like this movie. You know, I didn't really have high hopes for the first Aquaman. And in, I believe, looking at our ratings from five years ago, the movie, I think we only gave, Brad and I only gave it like a three. A lot's changed since then in five years. The DCEU, as we know, has basically collapsed. This is the final chapter before a reboot that's going to happen with James Gunn in 2025. And it kind of shows, I feel like, everyone kind of knew this was the end. And they didn't really give it a particularly hard effort. I love Jason Momoa. He's a very charismatic guy. But he just kind of mails it in this one. I don't even know if he got in shape. Which is just disappointing. Because, like, if you watch Dune from a couple years ago when he plays Duncan Idaho, he's the he might be the best part of that movie. He's just charismatic and just cool and everything you'd want. And he just doesn't have it here. I thought there was some chemistry between him and Patrick Wilson, who yeah. who's back, um, the Ocean Master from the first movie. Yeah, yeah, Abdul-Mateen, he tries, but he doesn't really have a lot um, going on. Uh, Randall Park, who's a new ignition Kind of, because he was he made a cameo in the first movie as Stephen Shin. He's okay, but it just feels phoned in and kind of a disappointment. The ending, they, I don't know. It's just kind of indicative of the DCEU of just like, they don't really know what to do. And there's also stories that have done it better. You know, the first 30, 40 minutes, I was just bored to tears. And it got a little bit better, and some of the fight scenes are, are good. James Wan, the director, I think he's still pretty solid in that, but... I've already forgotten about this movie, and it's just kind of like a, you know, the DCEU, which had high hopes, but has been uneven at best, just goes out with a whimper. So, I'm done talking about this movie. So, Brad, what do you got? <laughs> I'm like you. Momoa was okay as Arthur Curry. My take was that he was he was more, like, maturing. He was not as, like, meatheadish at most times. However, the final scene unexplicably reverts back to it, and you're like, what, what the hell was this all about then? So, because I'm like... He had a child. He was, I think, married, right? I mean, so he's married. Like, he was. He's, he's supposed to be the ruler of Atlantis, yeah. but even in those beginning scenes, he doesn't really want to rule. Yeah, it just seemed like he was growing up a little bit. But then, like, he reverts back to it at times, and it's like, well, what's the point then? He was very subdued in this. And granted, you could maybe call that phoning it in. Maybe I was glad to see Patrick Wilson, who played Orm in the first one. He got more to do in this film. I think he's the one that grows as a character the most. I mean, and the scenes with Momoa were good. They're like the the unlikely uh, buddy cop pair. And it works pretty good. It's probably the best part of the film, honestly. One of the things I was most probably disappointed about was uh, Yahya ya Abdul-Mateen. And that's Black Manta. Yeah, he's given more to do. But unfortunately, in the end, he's a throwaway character. It's like they built him up to be this, bad, uh, this big bad character. And you kind of see it from a mile away. But you're, you're hoping against hope that it's not that. And then they kind of just pull the rug from out of you. He's basically just knocked out by a single punch at the end. And then basically send it off to this big bad who they've been like previewing the whole entire movie. as like he's supposed to be the, the one who's like who could destroy uh, Atlantis and all this stuff. And basically he's taken out in like a minute. And it's just, it's frustrating. I was surprised to see Amber Heard. As Mara, as much as I was. In fact, I think she was, and she was okay for what she was, but especially with all the, the hubbub about her and losing roles and all that stuff. It was interesting to see her as long as I did, but, but I mean, she was basically, her and Nicole Kidman were basically background pieces. I was kind of surprised they didn't just kill Amber Heard off. The visuals were good. 
especially the location location pieces. I think they do a real good job with that. They did a pretty good job with that in the first movie too. The supporting cast really didn't add much. Brad and I were talking about what did you say? This is between DC and Marvel. This is the eighth comic book movie we've had in 2023, and this might be the worst one. No, I you know I think it's the I think it's a toss-up between The Flash and Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom, about which is the worst movie, in my opinion. 2024, I'm going to try to be a little better about grading a little harsher. Yeah. Especially on comic book movies. You just kind of set yourself up. Why don't you go ahead and give your rating? I gave follow. it two out of five. And I started off with two and a half, but then looking back on it, I realized, yeah, this was two. This is definitely a two movie. I'm going to grade it on this movie, because retroactively, I think I would change my Flash grade. I might have given it a two and a half, or even a three, I don't know. But, like, whatever I gave it was way too high at the time, because I was trying to be nice or whatever. I'm going to be real. I'm going to go one and a half. You got Rotten Tomatoes? I do have Rotten Tomatoes and Critics Consensus, so... Okay, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll guess this time. Yep. Rotten Tomatoes. Um, critics, I think they're on the same bandwagon as us. So some of the podcasts I listen to, they just, like... They just thought this movie was trash. It's going to be higher than Rebel Moon, so I'm going to go like 47% for the critics. Audience, 70 flat. Critics, 37%, 143 reviews. Okay. So it was, what, 24, I think, for Rebel Moon? Yes. So, so it's, it's higher. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> By default, it's higher. Well, you guessed 36 for Rebel Moon, right? Yeah, I guess so maybe, 36. Maybe, uh, maybe like... Well, the last last time I saw Rebel Moon, it was at I thought it was at thirty. Oh, so it dropped. So okay. it dropped. But okay, so what is it? Thirty six for thirty seven for uh, critics and audience seventy seven percent, two hundred fifty plus. I mean, so. us included, I think, comic book lovers for some parts are forgiving a lot. So, and it, just like I don't want Momoa to be in a bad movie. It's just a bad movie, yeah. and he didn't, unfortunately. He didn't really do anything to help himself. And I mean, aside from Patrick Wilson, I think maybe in Yaya on some occasion, like yeah. they're the ones who really kind of gave it an effort, really. Yeah. As far as critics' consensus, courtesy yeah. of Rotten Tomatoes, Jason Momoa remains a capable and committed leading man, but even DC diehards may feel that Aquaman and Lost Kingdom sticks to familiar waters. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, again, this is the energy of the episode. I was saying that we would probably have two separate recording sessions with both Brad and Keith, but you know what? Keith is here, so Keith, what's up, man? <laughs> hey, how's it going? Hey! Thank you for coming. Yeah, man. Keith <laughs> is literally coming fresh off his his uh, viewing of Ferrari, mm -hmm. but we're not, in true chaotic fashion. That's not the movie <laughs> we're going to talk about next. We're going to talk about uh, Maestro, the Netflix movie starring Bradley Cooper and Carey Mulligan. It is the story of Leonard Bernstein who, you know, world-famous composer, writer of a lot of great music in the 20th century, including, like, West Side Story. Probably America's greatest conductor. This movie's been in the pipeline for a while. Um, I've had this on my list of movies that I wanted to watch. Before I kind of go into the reviews and everything like that, um, I will ask B-Rad Dubs here to do the summary. So, Brad, what is Maestro about? All right, summary is always courtesy of IMDb. This love story chronicles the lifelong relationship of conductor-composer Leonard Bernstein and actress Felicia Montalegre-Cohen-Bernstein. Like I said, I've had this movie on my list for a long time. I'll say it's a pretty good movie. It's a, The story is one that you've seen before because it's been uh, throughout time about a couple and just kind of their relationship. But the one thing I always appreciate, for better or worse, 
you know, Bradley Cooper has pretty kind of naked ambition to win an Oscar. He had a great effort with the last movie he directed, A Star is Born Remake with Lady Gaga. He's directing this one too. He's acting in it. And he doesn't shortchange it. I mean, the way the movie is set up is fantastic. I thought his performance is great. A lot of people are saying that, you know, Carrie Mulligan in some ways outshines him. And I can see that as well, but you don't get shortchanged with that guy, especially for something when, like, he is trying to win an Oscar. He's already had four nominations, dating all the way back to one of Keith's favorite movies, Silver Lion Playbook. You know, he's gunning for an Oscar. Maybe this is the one, I don't know, but I, I appreciate it. But let me let me kick over to Keith, and we can talk a little bit more about this movie. So, Keith, what did you think about Maestro? Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Maybe a little more than you do. We'll see when we, you did when we get to the stars. We both obviously liked it, though. But I'll tell you, what unites this one and the stars born is... Bradley Cooper, not only does he have naked ambition, you're right, but he makes his movies with passion. He clearly has love for um, Leonard Bernstein and also for Felicia. It was well-researched. I know he didn't write it, but obviously he really dove into this. I, I read at one point that he practiced conducting for six years, so he clearly dies right into these. He's very good. Some people got on him for wearing a prosthetic nose and all that. That didn't bother me. It was not a caricature of a Jewish person. It was him diving into playing a Jewish role. He did it very well. And I thought Carrie Mulligan was even better. I, when, it, when it focused in on the two of them, especially in the first half, coming up to the 40s and 50s, had a real style. Contrast it with Mank by David Fincher. David Fincher, also for Netflix. The first half of this movie really sings. It's got a real style. I love the banter. I love the two of them. The favorite moment of the movie is when Felicia kind of makes her debut, really. When she arrives, I'm not sure if it's the first scene, but when she comes off the bus and she comes into view, it's a real star, star actress kind of entrance like you would have had in the 40s or 50s. And for that first part, even the second part, when it's a little, we'll get into it, what happens in the second half, the whole thing is done with great style, and I really enjoyed it. It's a really two-handed affair between those two. I would put money that they'll both be nominated for Oscars, and they might even win. Who knows? I, I think the other person I just want to tip my hat to is uh, Maya Hawk, who plays, um, I guess, the oldest daughter of the couple. She comes into it more in the second half, and like the Iron Claw, the old stuff we'll talk about a little later, this movie really has two distinct parts. We'll talk about the second half till we take the spoilers off, but he kind of films it through the years with different styles. The only really clunky thing, as you see him at the end, there's a visual cue. If you've heard the song by R.E.M., you know what I'm talking about. It's a little cheesy, and that was the only thing. Except for that, he floated through the years pretty perfectly. And, you know, there's one scene in the second half that really kind of sums up, you know, it could have been really morose. It is sad, but Carrie Mulligan is fantastic throughout the second half. And there's one scene in particular near the end where Leonard Bernstein gets to direct, I think it's, um, I don't I think it's something by Wagner. It's a six minute song and it's just, it's one of his crowning achievements. He's done in the London Orchestra and Cooper's Bernstein is covered in sweat and Felicia is watching from the sidelines. Even they've had their differences, you know, it's just a really touching moment. And you can tell that's the one he put all his energy into, and it's a it's a really stunning scene. I think the mark of good writers, actors, and directors is how they kind of interpret and perform stories that we've seen before. Because the, this movie, because it's based on real life, it's a story that you've seen a lot. It's about a couple, and how there's just like an unevenness, you know, and like one person who's a genius, but they just can't seem to love their partner as much as the other person for whatever reason and you know the struggles internal and external about that and how they deal with it i mean we've seen that story before but it's just like it doesn't matter because both cooper and carrie mulligan are just very good at their jobs yeah and if i have a quibble it didn't shy away from the fact you know Leonard bernstein liked both men and women and he was not faithful through their marriage it kind of gave short shift to the creative side of either of them 
This is a very intensely personal movie about their relationship, and they wrote it that way, and I appreciate that. But Leonard Bernstein is obviously a genius, and Felicia, who I didn't know much about going into to the movie, but is was a very important figure in 20th century artistry of music, music too, and they really don't get into any of that. So it would have been another half-hour movie, so I uh, the movie, so I can't really quibble too much. But I, I'll take a you know, like a half point off for that. Okay. I don't know. Unless you want to mention anything else, it might be time to get to the reviews. Yeah, I'll go first. You know, it's funny. You can tell that this is a prestige pick because it's got Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese as producers. Despite the fact that it's a little shallow on the creative side, the way it consider this complicated relationship and great performances, I will give it three and a half stars. I think I'm going to go four. And maybe that's just my bias because I've been looking forward to this movie. Um, oh, you know, I did want to ask you, in some ways, Tar kind of beat this to the punch. They're not not the same movie. Tar is a very much kind of broader movie in like the story beats and Lydia Tar is um, definitely not likable in the same way that Leonard Bernstein was in real life but do you have any preference? You know I was thinking about it. I watch all kinds of things again so I've watched them all twice. I will say I will, I will watch this one again first because it's easier to digest. I will say Tar is a better movie because I appreciated kind of the riddle of it. You don't know exactly what's going on. It's a complicated movie. There's a mystery, that's right. Yeah, um, so I, I, I prefer that one only by a nose. But I, in fact, I was thinking that though I was watching the movie though. So it's interesting you brought that up. Kind of minute to minute. I mean, like Maestro is just like better done. But in some ways, Lydia Tar and Tar, is, it's like more entertaining because there's a mystery that you don't have in Maestro that you have in Tar. And, you know, again, some of the some of the set pieces and some of just the scenes are just are kind of wild. Mm -hmm. Okay, so three and a half for Keith, four for me. Brad, you got some Rotten Tomatoes? You want to do tomatoes or you want to do spoilers? Well, I don't think there's really um, any spoilers. I, there's not really any spoilers. Okay. Um, they all die. That's the no, no. Well, on the end, but... It's all movies. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say, be prepared. The second half is heavy. Uh, it's sadder. Just yeah. be ready for that. Okay. Yeah, there's. A, I mean, there's emotional. There's emotional payoff. Okay, so let's do Rotten Tomatoes first. And I think Keith, you should. Critics and audience, okay. uh, Keith, what's your thoughts? I know not everybody liked this, but I'll go pretty high with Chris. I'll go like eighty, and fans, I'll go. I think everybody still pretty much liked it. I'll go seventy-five. I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot for the moon, relatively speaking, for this. So <laughs> I'll just go ninety straight. Critics, seventy-nine percent. 291 reviews. Audience, 68%. 1,000 plus reviews. Okay. Credits consensus, courtesy of Rotten Tomatoes. Led by a pair of powerful performances, Maestro serves as a stirring overview of her tremendous talents, life, and legacy. Audience says, Maestro's Oscar-worthy acting and impressive cinematography keeps things engaging despite a flawed narrative that won't teach viewers much about Bernstein's cultural impact. Um, I, I, you know, I could see that. That's a, that's a pretty decent call. So. Mm -hmm. Not bad. All right, so moving right along. So this is, I guess we are in the biopic stretch of this <laughs> episode. So we just talked about Maestro. And now we're going to go on to another story based on a true person, and that's Ferrari, which is about Enzo Ferrari's being played by Adam Driver. And kind of one specific time, I guess a turning point in Ferrari, and a turning point in Enzo Ferrari's life particularly. And the movie also stars, among other people, Penelope Cruz and Shailene Woodley, but Brad, uh, what's this movie about? Summary courtesy IMDb. Set in the summer of 1957 with Enzo Ferrari's auto empire in crisis, the ex-racer turned entrepreneur pushes himself and his drivers to the edge as they launch into the... Mille Miglia. A treacherous 1,000-mile race across Italy. Thank you for the assist, Keith. Okay, so, um, you know, this is another movie that I really was looking forward to, if only because I'm a big Michael Mann fan. Let me kick it over to Brad first, because um, he, you know, he took a little pause there in the reviewing, and also, 
you know, I know you're a little, you're a little hesitant. This isn't one you were like chomping at the bit to get at, but um, what did you think of Ferrari, Brad? I liked it. It was a good movie. I think it really lives off of, in my opinion, his two main characters, which is uh, Adam Driver as Enzo Ferrari and Penelope Cruz as Laura Ferrari. I think those two, when they're on screen, they steal the scene, and when they're together, it's just, it's magnetic. I think Driver as Ferrari, in my opinion, I think he's better as in Marriage Story, I think, just with, not only with himself and all that, with the neurosis, but I think just with him and, I think it was Scarlett Johansson, right? Yes. In, in Marriage Story. I think... They play off, play off each other pretty well, better than this one, but still, they, him and Penelope Cruz play off each other real well in this movie, too. He plays the sourpuss face, and I'll say that, uh, and, uh, and Enzo, Enzo with like all the paranoia and lack of emotion. I mean, there's many scenes where you think you would think something would come to him, and I mean, for the most part, he just stays stone-faced for the most of it. I mean, there's some scenes. I think, I think his best scene in, is, was in the opera. I think I really like that opera scene. I think it finally shows his emotion, and I think... His bickering and fighting with uh, Laura is also very well done. There was many times I was laughing at the two. Same thing with Penelope Cruz. I think she's loud, judgmental, strong-willed. And I think even when she isn't, I think when the mood just shifts just like that, I think Penelope Cruz does a great job with that. I don't know. You want Keith go next? Keith, I mean, you literally just saw the movie like 40 minutes ago. Yeah. So. <laughs> so my instant reaction, you know, you're right. I'm driver's really good in this. I would compare it more to Gucci, which I mean, obviously he's playing an Italian, you know. It's the second in the Italian like, yeah. <laughs> Italian icon trilogy, I guess. Uh, Chef yeah. Boyardee is next. I saw exactly. Uh, uh, uh. I really never thought he fit in Gucci. I didn't think anybody did. That was a pretty terrible movie. Not even a funny movie. This one though, I really felt he was Enzo. And you're right, Penelope Cruz is all. Everybody is equal. The early early stretch of this movie, um, you know, you never want to laugh at, at domestic violence, but there's a scene where she fires a gun, and it's played with a dark wit. And now that's kind of Italian, and it's all, every exchange between them, even the exchanges between, you know, Shailene Woodley plays his mistress, who, who he has a child with, all of them deal with each other in a very witty way. The whole script is very well done. You know, as we'll get into later, there's two parts to this movie. The second part is, I didn't, I like the first part a lot, it's well done. You didn't really feel it was a Michael Mann movie. And you feel it when they get to the race. And these really is two different, two distinct movies. I like them both. Uh, we'll get into, we were talking a little before the broadcast, there's something that happens in the race that's really jarring. But I really, I really like the first half for the wit and the, the dynamic between all the characters and the racing in the second half is also fantastic. Just to play off your point, Keith, like I, I felt also this movie is of two worlds, but I don't think it really satisfied my itch for either one mm -hmm. of just like, let's learn a little bit more about Enzo Ferrari or let's kind of focus on this race. Which was, I think, maybe a plus if we compare this to Ford versus Ferrari. You know, this movie, at least in the historical timeline, is kind of a prequel to that movie. But I, I don't know what else is to be said that you guys haven't already mentioned. But much like Maestro in some ways, that the male lead, uh, in this case Adam Driver, who is very good in some ways, is overshadowed by Penelope Cruz. I would disagree with you guys. I feel like Shailene Woodley was kind of miscast as this character. I know like a lot of the Italian media was a little frustrated because obviously none of those three characters are Italian. But, you know, it kind of works. I thought the, the Michael Mann dynamic um, and the energy, to Keith's point, I think it was best when Enzo Ferrari's trying to pump up Ferrari. Um, those scenes at the dinner table when he's like, these are my drivers, these are my guys, like this is the guy who does the engineering, these are my drivers, and you know, he's very good at this and all that. It, you know, it's great. And it kind of finds its its footing and its energy, I think, towards the back end when we are building to this, to this race. And I don't think it's one of Michael Mann's best movies, but 
Kind of in the same way that The Killer isn't David Fincher's best movie, but it's still a good movie. I would watch it again. Oh, yeah. um, maybe it's t- kind of towards the back end. Um, Michael Mann is 80 years old. The last movie he did before <laughs> this was Black Hat, which wasn't particularly good. But the body of work for Michael Mann is great, and I would recommend almost all his stuff from the 80s and 90s, going back to Thief, Manhunter, Last of the Mohicans, Heat, The Insider, Collateral, Miami Vice, I know some people don't particularly like, but all those are like That's just classics. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, real quick, i try to get back to Shanley Woodley. I, I agree with you a little bit, Ben. I think she doesn't quite bring the same energy maybe as Penelope Cruz, but I kind of, I still like her and Adam Driver together. They're good. They're That's not, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're not as, they're not as magnetic as her, as him, as, as, um, uh, Driver and Penelope Cruz, but it's, they still bring a different type of energy to it. Cause where it's like, it's all like full of energy and vigor when those two, when Penelope Cruz and Driver are together with Shane Lee Woodley and him, it's like, it's more like almost like a loving couple. So I kind of like the dichotomy between the two. So I mean, I like Shailene Woodley. I just feel like that movie could have had an upgrade. If say like Anne Hathaway was, uh, I think the energy, it's not like Shane Lee Woodley is outclassed by a lot, but I just think like the movie could have been that much better if they had somebody a, a little bit, I don't know, just more that fits the vibe a little bit better. That's all. I'm going to come to her defense a little bit. I mean, you're right that these, these all three of these could have been Italian actors. So don't yeah. leave it at that. But, you know, she is supposed to be a factory worker, as I understand it. Mm. And I think she fit that vibe. That, I mean, she is a, not really class, but she is, she is a class below Laura. You know, in Italian society, I'm sure. I thought she fit that role pretty perfectly. Ford vs. Ferrari, a right for the racing, is a, is a great movie. Probably, I'd say overall a little better movie, but the racing, actual racing in this movie is fantastic. Yeah. So when you GoPro now, but the driver's view, they have aerial, when they go around turns, and there's there's one scene, in fact, where we zoom back, and you see Dave Portado looking at the looking at what's ahead of him, and then he takes off. That's, it's all very, very well done. So that's like the last 45 minutes of the movie, and it's really fun. Shout out to Patrick Dempsey, who is actual, mm-hmm. like, he, he actually races cars. You know, he gets to, to be in this. Uh, Piero Taruffi, I believe. We, we'll keep it pushing, and if we don't have anything else to say, it might be review time. Get to the spoilers, and then... Yeah, the... there's there's one scene in particular I think we need to get spoilers on. But, so, uh, but Brad, yeah. you go first. What's your, what are you, what's your rating? I'm going to give it a three and a, half out of, three and a half out of five. It's a good movie. I Like I said, I like Ford for, for first of Ferrari a little better. I gave that a four, I believe, out of memory. The racing scenes are good. The scenes with Laura and Enzo are great. It's just, like Ben said, it's like it had its feet in two different stories, and... Even though both parts were good, it just didn't tend to mesh well in the end, in my opinion. Like I said, I don't know if I was like just slightly disappointed, but I just it didn't end up cracking what I feel is like man's top tier movie. So I'm also going to give it three and a half. Yeah, I was going to go three, but thinking about it, you know, the dynamic of the two of them, and that there's a scene which you won't spoil at the very end between um, you know Enzo and Laura that ties it all together. They really work for me, so I will go three and a half also. Okay. Okay. Okay, so why don't we do some spoilers real quick? All right. Spoilers! Turn away! Drive away now! Uh, particularly, you know, the, <laughs> the one scene, because again, this is all based on history, is our guy Deportacio, they're in this race. You know, the race is important because if Ferrari wins, then they'll get some notoriety, and maybe it'll help Ferrari kind of get out of the red. So they end up winning the race, but it comes with a very terrible price in the fact that Deportacio is driving. You know, this is a, this is a road race, so they're driving through towns and everything like that. 
And unfortunately, you know, his car hits something. He has a massive blowout, which turns into a horrific crash that kills him, the navigator, and I believe like nine other people. Seven other people. Nine people. Nine people, including a lot of children. And it's probably one of the more uncomfortable graphic scenes I've seen in a while, Mm -hmm. where you see the carnage of the crash. You see this car like propels itself in the air, hits a telephone pole bounces off a historical marker, and then the wreckage and all that just clears out a crowd. You see the, I don't know, you see the carnage, you see dismembered limbs, children who are, are mangled. Our guy, Deportagio, is literally split in two, and that was shocking to me. I don't know what you, how you I guys was, felt. I was shocked. I thought that literally it might just be like, it maybe show them spike up into the, the light pole and then just sort of do like a, like, uh, pan away from or, 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 black or, or even go sound. to black yeah. and just have the sound and then maybe show the aftermath but they showed the whole thing and it's like the car just mowing people over I was like oh that part was a bit much but overall it didn't bother the, cra- the crash was horrific and if you you can't undersell that and they definitely didn't the only thing that I didn't particularly care for was the the fact that the they set up with the family right before and this is total spoilers oh, yeah. and then the kid runs out and he's the one that dies that was I didn't. I didn't need that. See, I didn't. You know. I, I didn't. I didn't. Wasn't familiar with what happened. I mean, I saw the. I saw a clip of a crash in the trailer, but I thought it was going to be just like you know the kid ran out and like Deportajo like swerved to miss him and then that's how he died. But I didn't imagine like this like horrible crash um, well, to occur. That, so that's history. So yeah, I didn't yeah. mind them showing all the graphicness of it. Except for that cheesy setup with the kid. Yeah. That didn't. That that fucked me. Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz was with other people. I think. It'll be nominated maybe for some Oscars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. And I can't oversell. Watch it till the end. You know, that final scene where... So it's, it's the, the, two, the two of them, yeah. The two of them where you find out how much Laura loves him or not, how much she loves Ferrari. Yes. It's it's powerful. Brad, you got you had anything else? Yep. Rotten Tomatoes? Huh? I got tomatoes. I'll go 83 for the critics. Mm-hmm. And I will go 71 for the audience. Okay. Keith? Well, just for fun, also because I think that's a little low. I, I think everybody loves Michael Mann. I will go. Uh, let's go eighty-seven with the critics, and I'll go even eighty-five with the fans. I think this is a really good movie. Right. Critics seventy-four percent, one hundred sixty-seven reviews. Audience seventy-two percent, two hundred fifty-plus reviews. Wow. Uh, critics <laughs> consensus. No, but you know, yeah, yeah it's a little low for for man movies. I think from from your. Uh, you know, it's just know, like but, it's not top tier man. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, critics consensus courtesy of Rotten Tomatoes. Sleek and well-acted, Ferrari overcomes its occasionally underpowered narrative deliver to deliver a rousing and admirably complex biopic. And to complete our biopic trilogy, let's <laughs> talk about The Iron Claw. This movie is directed by Sean Durkin. And, you know, I mean, credit where credit is due. Mr. High School Musical, Zac Efron, um, in, a, in a great leading role for him. But it also stars Harris Dickinson and uh, everyone's favorite guy from the Bear, Jeremy Allen White. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, as well as uh, Lily James, Holt McElhaney, and Maura Tierney. So, uh, before we get into it anymore, Brad, what's this movie about? Alright, uh, summary courtesy of IMDb. 
The true story of the inseparable Von Erich brothers, who made history in the intensely competitive world of professional wrestling in the early 1980s. Actually, you know what? I'll start, and I'll leave it to Brad first, because Brad is the biggest wrestling person. You you had, you weren't really tracking this movie. I, I mentioned it to you, and you were a little skeptical, and then I, I sent you the trailer, you watched it, and you're like, okay, I, maybe I could be on board with this. But I enjoyed this movie. I knew a little bit about it after I saw, I mean, after I saw the trailer, so I knew kind of like what the storyline would be i'm not really going to spoilers but it actually i think it helped to know a little bit of history because it kind of braced me for what happened keith who i'm assuming now keith correct me if i'm wrong did you look into anything into this before you watched the movie i did not but i did know just from talking with you two that the von erics have a colorful story yeah. I believe it yes is. Mm-hmm. yeah but it's 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 more of an ensemble cast than the previous two biopics we talked about mm-hmm. zach efron again credit what credit is due i mean much like Charles Melton, when we talked about May December, of a guy who, you know, started his career kind of a in a lightweight thing, and you know, you know, Zac Efron, teen heartthrob, High School Musical, and you know, a comedic guy did Baywatch and all that. He's matured in his roles too. Um, people, I haven't seen it. People really like that greatest beer run ever that he did last year on Apple. Uh, that was a true story. Um, you know, people seem to like that. He's he's branched out a little bit. Like Bradley Cooper, maybe not as hungry to get an Oscar as Bradley Cooper, but he's definitely trying to push himself and his resume. And Holt McElmany, who I think we all particularly respect and, and like. Um, Brad, you might be the least familiar with him, but as the dad and the, and the patriarch of this movie, um, he really gets to shine as well. Um, I, you know, I've liked him since, um, I think the first movie I saw him was uh, Three Kings. He has a very cameo part in there. Keith can talk about where he got familiar with him. Mm-hmm. I enjoy this movie as someone who's not as well-versed in the wrestling lore as, as Brad is. I just thought um, it was a well-told story. Being braced for some of the serious points in that I think helped. So I had never heard of this movie until you two were talking about it. I will say, you know, I did wrestle in high school. I wasn't very good at it. I did go to one WrestleMania on closed circuit TV because I was babysitting. These kids wanted to go. And I did once meet Jake Snake in Athens, Georgia. So those are my, that's my wrestling cred. I will say um, I did like the first half of this movie more quite a bit. It had a real um, human kind of feel to it. Even not just because it was Texas. It felt to me almost like a Linklater movie. It had a real natural kind of feel, the way they're coming up. Uh, I liked all the guys, you know, Ben's right, Holt McElhinney's my guy, it was only one season, but if you like boxing, Lights Out on FX is one of the best one season shows ever, and Holt Holt McElhinney plays the uh, aging boxer in that, who's really near the end of his career. The brothers are all great, I want to shout out to the women a little bit, Um, my favorite moments uh, in this were kind of the quiet moments, and I've always liked Lily James, and she took a really, really leap forward here. My favorite scene in the first half is after they meet and they have their they have their first date, and you know Kevin's kind of telling him her about the as he calls it the curse of the Von Erics, and she just goes over and hugs him. It's just a perfect quiet moment. And this she's, is the barbecue joint. Yeah, 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 and she's kind of the heart of the movie. All the brothers are great. Um, we'll get into the second half. I will say, not only is it very uh, a little you know it's it's tragic. I will say if there was a little more character development in this movie, the second half would have been a little better to me. It's just boom, boom, boom. Tragedy, I know they had to get it that way. It's a little soul-deadening because the characters to me weren't as developed as they could have been. But overall, I, I did really like it. But, but mm-hmm. I just want to piggyback and then I'll kick it over to Brad. But I think the other Lily James scene I want to cite too is um, towards the end, without spoiling it a lot, um, there's a scene with just her and more tyranny where mm-hmm. she basically 
is trying to comfort her. I just thought that was well done. Yeah, that was well done. So yeah, Maura Tierney is very good too. The women here are do exceptional. I don't think she yeah. had. I think Maura Tierney had enough to do in this mm-hmm. movie. You know, Keith Brad was saying that maybe that was just kind of the byproduct of what it was real life, and you know how the, the women are even that era, like 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. They're you know, they just like the man. The man is the dominant oh, yeah. person of the yeah. family, <laughs> and so. clearly Fritz ran yeah. this show. Yeah. <laughs> so Brad, let's kick over to you. You're the big wrestling fan. You know this the best. Oh, um, he's, you, he's signed. You're probably we'll the best. I mean, obviously, you're <laughs> looking at this with the most critical eye because you know the story yeah. the best. You are very tough on wrestling actors, mm-hmm. wrestling movies. So, what do you think? Well, this movie ha- had me doing something that I haven't done in a little while. This movie actually made me nervous. I don't go into no, going in or during it. Both. Okay. I was very nervous about this movie, and the last time I was nervous about a movie was actually the first Guardians of the Galaxy, mm. and it's basically because, and the trailer made me made me realize I want this movie done right, and most wrestling movies are not done right. I think the only other wrestling movie that's been pretty close, in my opinion, is The Wrestler. And I think they did a real good job with that. This movie focuses on wrestling before I was born. I mean, this is early, late 70s, early 80s. And if you want to go back to Fritz's early days, that's 50s. So I wasn't even a thought in my mom and dad's eye at that point. Uh, like I said, it went from that to like, when, till I was under 10 years old. Because basically when Carrie died was like 92, 93. So. Spoiler alert. Yeah, so yeah. well, <laughs> it's history. I mean, yeah. so, uh, they, see now it's history. When I well, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's wrestling history. I mean, we cut this part out, Brad, but you do get on us for spoilers. Yeah, that was on me. So, but but this story is depressing, and yeah. I, mm-hmm. that was my main fear: was how are they going to handle this? Were they going to go all nitty gritty on the details? Because there was a lot of negativity in this, in the family, and they, for the most part, do it. They, they left out some things that actually could have made this a lot more sad, uh, sadder. Uh, being the youngest brother, Chris, was completely omitted from the movie. Yeah, do you know why? I read that, but was it just, um, just for the just for sake of story? Spoiler, spoiler alert, because this is a small spoiler, but here's another guy who they lost early, and Sean Durkin, who was writing, was like, I can't include all of this. Mm. It's just like, it's too much. Basically, Chris was the run of the family. He was like yeah. five foot five, 150 pounds, where the rest of the family was like six foot, six foot two, six foot four, 240, 250. And he tried to get into it, and basically they combined Mike and Chris together. Okay, okay. So, so basically, where Mike did separate his shoulder, and he mm-hmm. did have to stay for a hospital visit. That did happen. But Chris kept on getting hurt. He had asthma. He was five foot five. So, and they tried to get him into it, force him into it, and he could just couldn't do it. And I'll I'll, I'll give Sean Durkin that one. Well, no, well, it's, no I understand yeah. why they did it. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, I understand why they did it. So I'm not harping mm-hmm. on that because. There's a lot more that happened. Like, David had a wife, and they had a child that died early, Jeez. before David even died. So, I mean, so there's there's a lot of negative, a lot, lot of just misfortune. Not even negativity, Can just I, misfortune in this family. Um, but. How about we do this, even more so than Maestro and Ferrari, I think we should just talk about this openly with spoilers, because it's hard for us to dance around what happens and talk about this movie. So I'm going to go ahead, uh, Brad, say your spoiler thing. Spoilers! Turn away! (laughs) Run off the ropes now! Okay, so let me just give you the spoiler thing so you have context and we can speak about freely about this family. So, you know, the Von Erich family, 
they feel like it has a curse. They there were uh, let's see here like six six brothers. There were six brothers. The youngest brother died at five. Actually, because, I guess it would be seven. No, 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 six. You're right. I'm sorry. You're and, six. And sorry. You're six. You're, you're right. You're right. The, the, I'm sorry. The oldest brother, the first son of the Von Erichs. Jack Jr. Jack Jr. died at five. When This is explained in, in the movie, Keith, but he was five. He was accidentally electrocuted and then drowned in a puddle. Yeah. He touched He touched an electrified tra- tra- trailer tongue. Touched it, got electrocuted, fell in a puddle, and yeah. drowned it that way. So, so. And then Kevin Von Erich, who is the Zac Efron character, is like the... It's basically the default oldest son, and you know he just tries to do the best he can, but you know he's just like he can't seem to get dad's approval all the way. Um, Harris Dickinson, the the next guy, mm-hmm. what's his name? David. David. Bayard. You know he has a chance to be the champion, which they all wanted, but then he passes away suddenly from illness mm-hmm. that we saw. Yeah. So that's how it happened in Japan. Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah, it was over flight. Yeah, he's uh, now, now. There's conspiracy theories. Jeremy Allen White's character actually gets the title, but because he's just dealing with a lot of stuff, he eventually gets into a car crash, has his foot amputated. He's never the same. Motorcycle. He also motorcycle. I'm sorry. Well, car because he ran into a crash. Well, well he, yeah, gets a, yeah. he gets he gets he gets in a yeah. motor vehicle accident, yeah. and he's forever messed up from that, and he ends up committing suicide as well as the other brother, Mike. <laughs> Who is kind of like, you know, just like the sensitive guy, the music guy, at least in this movie. Tries to get in wrestling. Has a terrible and just like freak accident thing that happens once he hurts his shoulder that happens in surgery. Is never the same and also commits suicide. Um, So there's just a lot of heaviness in this movie. But throughout that, I think there's just some good performances. Zac Efron, like I said, he, he does the job well. And... Before we we got into kind of our semantics and all this other stuff, but we, you, what about your performances, Brad? Like, how do you think the people actually did acting wise? I really love Zach Efron as Kevin Van Eric. He was great in this. I think he's the wholesome family man. Uh, just as a wrestler, he's the older brother. He tries to take care of everybody else. It's the older brother way, and just. I think, like, near the middle of the end of the movie, just his obsession and fear with the family curse. I just think Efron nailed it. I really loved, loved his performance. I think the second best performance was Holt McElhaney as Fritz von Erich. He's amazing in this. He, he goes from a caring family man to a demanding father and a promoter. He nails all facets. And it's just, he's got that old school father where it's just like, they'll figure it out on their own. I don't need to baby them. They'll figure it out on their own. And McElhenney played basically a bigger-than-life demanding person. I mean, even in the one scene where they sell the Federation to Jerry Jarrett, and Jerry Jarrett said, it's like, yeah, I went over to the farm, and Fritz tried to intimidate me. That's probably exactly what happened. Fritz Fritz is a very big, intimidating person, and I could see that. I really love that. And I really love... Lily James is Pam, too. She's my underrated MVP in this. I mean, it's, she's the heart of the movie. She's the normal person in a sea of just wrestling all around. And she's just the ones, like, just like Ben, I, I think it was Ben who mentioned, just hops up when, when he tells about the brother. And, or was it Keith? Yeah. Sorry, Keith. But it's just when he hops up and tells about the brother, she just sits right down there and hugs him. Mm-hmm. It's just a nice, quiet moment. I mean, that and, and you, Ben, with the scene with, uh, with the mom, uh, Maura Tierney's character. It was really good. I mean, and she was, she just 
integrated well with not just not only Kevin but with Mike. You could see there was genuine concern for Mike. I think most of the cast was good. Like I like Jeremy Allen White as Carrie Von Eric. I mean, it showed Carrie's very wild personality. <laughs> a lot of that stuff is what he did. I mean, he was out of control with drugs, alcohol. They did have a lot of problem with that. And White did a good job. With it. Yeah, sorry, I'm talking fast. Uh, Dickinson as David. He David's supposed to be the best wrestler, and I think he didn't give as much get as much as he should. But I think just the scene where he's on the bathroom floor with Kevin, and Kevin just tells him, it's like, hey, you're going to be a, um, an uncle here. And it's just, that scene was very touching. I mean, it's just, they all did a good job, in my opinion. I mean, I, I, I don't see even more Tierney in, in, a, in a lesser role, but she still has her moments where she shines. I mean, it's all well done. There's one more thing I want to talk about, and then I'll, I'll let you all go. I'm sorry, I'm rambling here. But I was just surprised how much in detail they put into the behind the scenes of pro wrestling. I mean, they, they went from just, like, discussing the matches and the beats that they need to do, like they did with the Bro Bruiser Brody match. That was very well done. To Just showing how the National Wrestling Alliance decides who gets to hold the title and who gets the challenge. Just that and just, like, um, how contenders were nominated and they had to be voted on. It's just... The, the, the gates for how much money they get, just the atmosphere. I mean, wrestling was at one point as big as football in Texas. And, I mean, it was, and you could see it. They did they did a great job with the Sportatorium. I mean, it's just, it's very well done. I think the only thing, right, actually, Brad, I'll let you just cook for a little bit longer. The one part you didn't like, you didn't like the guy <laughs> who betrayed Ric Flair, right? Yeah. And that's not just you. I saw some other people who are also complaining that he yeah, wasn't I don't that I'm with you, but go ahead, Brad. It was yeah. just <laughs> jarring. I mean, it's just... When you get to know the man and his speech patterns and everything he does, it's just... And I told Ben this. His verbiage was spot on. It's just his tone and inflection was just not Ric Flair. I mean, he was he was aggressive. And Ric Flair, for the most part, was almost like kidding around to an extent with some of his like back and forth until he got serious. And this Ric Flair was serious right off the bat. It just, it didn't work for me. And I think the backstage afterwards, after the match, was probably the best he yeah. did as Ric Flair. Because that was Ric Flair through and through. Yeah, but, he was so arrogant. Yeah, was yeah fun, but, you know, but, but also just like, <laughs> yeah, bro, let's get yeah. a beer. Like, yeah. Where, yeah. Where's the, where are the girls in the yeah. beer? Yeah. yeah, so, but yeah, that. but other than that, there wasn't much negative in this movie. I think... Some of the stuff that was omitted, if it gave, if it was even like a two and a half hour movie, I'd probably still love this movie. So uh, it's they they could have added some some more like building, and I would have probably loved it. It's still not a bad movie. I just enjoyed this movie. So okay, so before we get to the ratings, and we'll leave you for last, Brad. Okay, so is this Brad's wrestling ratings? Ironclaw number one. Yeah. Wrestler number two. Yeah. Fighting with my family number three. Probably yeah, and then. You just don't like fighting with my family. It's, it's those, good. It's good. King Kong Bundy movies where he plays like a mover and you know. No, like like straight wrestling. Movies. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. So it's like I said, I like fighting with my family. It's just, it's just they gave it a little bit more of a Disney type feel to the wrestling business. And see, not being a wrestling fan, that's why I appreciated that one. It was yeah, fun. It's fun. No, it's fine. No, it's fine. No, it's fine. It's just for being a wrestling fan. Sometimes you got to see the nitty gritty, and they did that well in this movie, yeah. and they did that well in the wrestler. I even say that the behind-the-scenes stuff they did better in The Wrestler. It's just, I think it was more, dare I say, wholesome with this movie, even with all the, the misfortune. One of my favorite scenes, I liked, I liked that scene with the barbecue diner, but one, one at the end where um, Fritz walks in, and he finally has to give up. And she's just sitting there painting, 
Oh, like, you yeah. know he wants to say More something. More Because oh, yeah. he never wants to give up. Mm-hmm. You know, after all this misery, he finally just sits at the table. I needed that. And people have knocked a little bit the magical realism of the scene where the brothers are reunited and pool floors off. Well, the brother who had died very young is there. Yeah. I assume it's supposed to be heaven. It's, yeah. But it's, you know, it's, Zach, it's uh, Kevin's dream. I didn't mind any of that. I needed a little levity. Um, there, was, there was that part. I, I didn't mind it. I don't know if it was necessary is when the mom is watching Carrie wrestle for the WWF thing. And mm-hmm. um, I guess that is um, David. He's just like, there's a, there's a specter of him on the stairs. I saw yeah, that. That, yeah. Was, that was a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I didn't mind it. Do we need it? It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't for WWF. That was to win the NWA title. Oh, okay. So, which I think makes more sense because that was supposed to be his title. Oh, right, right, right. right yeah, right, so, right, but, yeah, um, so. That, that, yeah, that was a little on the nose, but. I mean, it's fine. I, I, I mean, it's whatever. I mean, again, they, they, it's clear. It's, it's well established in the beginning. The brothers love each other. That's yeah. the one positive of all this. Is that, I mean, I guess there's some, there's some sibling rivalry because everyone wants to be dad's favorite, and you see that a little bit with Carrie and Kevin's characters. There's, a, there's a lot more I'd like to say about this, but I, I like B Red Dubs. This is a B Red yeah. Dubs. Yep. Yeah, wrestling. Yeah. Well, I'm just happy that you liked it. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew you would because I liked it too. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know. yeah I mean, you know, right? Because uh, you know, you were saying you're nervous before. I mean, I can't imagine if this movie sucked. You like, yeah, how yeah. kind of devastated you'd be, really. Um, so, well, why don't we do the ratings? Um, I'll we'll leave Brad for last. So, uh, Keith, why don't you think so? I'm gonna go only three stars with this one, but I will say it's just because the second half is just so just boom, boom, boom tragedy. I could use a little more character development before that. But overall, I still liked it. I'm going to go, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go four. I just thought it was, I thought it was well done. I think hats off to Zac Efron for, you know, continuing to stretch his limits in his career. This bodes well for him, so he's not just like the comedic dude or just a pretty boy. So, um, you know, good for him. Good for him. Mm-hmm. They are also saddled with some of the worst haircuts in history. Yeah, especially That's him. just the time, you know? period. But, um, he looks you know. like He-Man almost. Yeah, you know, you know they're, all, they're, all, they're all fighting through some bad haircuts. Yeah. Uh, so, um, okay, Brad. So, three... Four and what's Brad? Four and a half. Four and a half. Okay. I really wow. like this. I'm not sure if this movie is Oscar worthy, but in my no, opinion, it's gonna be nominated. It's gonna be nominated because like yeah. Joker got nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture. I could see this movie maybe being it, a tail. It, it made it, it made it made National Review's top ten. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the if you look at the top ten here, and I'll I'll fire it up real quick. Well, um, while you're doing it's it, a, it's a pretty it's a pretty illustrious group. Yeah. I don't think she can do it, but Lily James should be nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She was really good. She was really good. Yeah, <laughs> I could see McElhaney getting supporting yeah. actor. If not, maybe even outside chance for Jeremy Allen Wade. Well, I really like his his performance. I don't I don't think he was on Brad, the screen. You should watch The Bear. You know, if I could, yeah. But um, I really love the final scene too, where you just see him meditating, and his mm-hmm. two kids are playing. And it's very nice. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's yeah. is it saccharine mm-hmm. a little bit? But it, but it was well earned. Though. But I think no. it was. Yeah, I think it worked perfect. So no, and and they said in the trivia, basically, Sean Durkin was like, "You, I don't want you to show any emotion or cry until that end scene." And you can mm-hmm. tell. I mean, that's you know, you can see that. It's it's built up, you know. He's trained before. It's very early in the film again. The whole McElhaney's character is like, when the first brother dies on screen, they're don't just cry. like, "Don't cry, right?" And so he has this release. 
he is feeling sad because he misses his brothers, and, you know, just, I don't know. There's a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, and hats off to Sean Durkin while you're looking this up. You know, yeah. he's made two other movies that I really love. Um, yeah. Martha Marcy, May Marcy, yes. with Elizabeth Olsen. That's like one of her breakout fantastic. roles. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's very dark, very good. And The Nest is all sensational. Yeah. Those are both a little better than this one, but that just shows you how good a director he is. Okay, so the National, uh, what is it, the National Board Review, or whatever it's yeah. called. Mm-hmm. Um, it's top ten movies. We've seen, I think, combined, I think we've seen all of these. Um, Alphabetical Order, Barbie, The Boy and the Heron, Ferrari, The Holdovers, Iron Claw, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, and Poor Things. So, it's in good company. So, Mm -hmm. it will get some Oscar nominations and stuff. I'd be shocked at Best Picture, but not totally shocked. We'll see. Uh, We'll see. It's definitely an outsider, but yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. Critics and audience. Keith, you should guess this one. I will. Okay. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, I, I know. I know. I had my my qualms. I think people are going to see it, know what they're getting into, and they would like it. Fan, I'll go. Uh, critics, ninety percent. Fans, a little lower, eighty-five. Just because the second half is heavy. Right. Ben. Um. Again, based on the accolades and the buzz it's getting, I'll say ninety-one. Um. I'm gonna go a little bit lower, just because. Again, if you don't have any familiarity with the story. Um, and I, I guess I'll ask you this too, Keith, like once I'm done my thoughts, just like, you might think it's so far-fetched that like all this happened, all this like sad stuff is happening to this one family. It wasn't that, it just came so boom, boom, It boom. was. I needed a little more quieter scenes let up in between the second half, but I know they had a lot to get through. What did, oh, I didn't guess. Um, what did I say? I didn't say that. It said um, 91. 91. And, for, and, the, and the fans. Fans. You said a little lower. Um, I'll go 82. Critics, 88%, 160 reviews. Audience, 92%, 500-plus reviews. So. Well, wrestling fans in force. Uh, critics consensus. Um, powerfully acted and profoundly profoundly sad, the Iron Claw honors its fact-based story with a dramatization whose compassionate exploration of family ties is just as hard-hitting as its action in the wrestling ring. Okay. And you said that the like wrestling podcast, no, the, the wrestling media that you do, um, they all liked it, right? Yeah, they liked it. They, they thought it was a good movie. All right, so I think we're running out of time. So why don't we go and wrap this <laughs> up? Um, Keith, why don't you do the plugs and we'll get out of here. All right. You can reach us at MoviesTheMeal.OG at gmail.com. Uh, Movies the Meal on, meal on X slash Twitter. And give us a listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Okay, so for this episode of Movies in the Meal, I'm Ben. And Keith. Spread. Peace. All right, and uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year.